Hello, and welcome to this episode of The University Guy. My name is David Hawkins. I'm an independent university advisor from England with a fascination for everything to do with university admissions. In this podcast, I'm exploring the rise of unconditional offers from UK universities. This topic has generated a lot of media interest in recent months, and it's something which I actually find very surprising. My work involves supporting students with university applications to many different countries, and in a lot of other university systems, an unconditional offer is the normal state of affairs. This is particularly common in the United States, where students aren't held to meeting their predicted grades as they have been, historically, in the UK. I wanted to try to explore this issue from a global perspective, and so to start with, I spoke with Richard Judd, Head of Careers at Taunton School, a British school where most students will only make UK university applications. So this morning I'm speaking with Richard Judd, who is the Head of Careers at Taunton School in England. Uh, Richard, if you just give me a little introduction to, to what that role means at, at Taunton School and a little bit about Taunton School, if you don't mind. Absolutely fine, and, and welcome to all the listeners. Uh, Taunton School is a boarding school in the southwest of the UK. We, we have about 540 students in the school, of which almost half of them would be in sixth form. So we're sending 95% of our students to university, mainly in the uh, UK, but we last year sent to nine other countries as well, on top of all the countries within the UK. Um, we are a school that offers IB, we offer A-level, and we also offer BTEC uh, to our students. Uh, we are slightly selective uh, in terms of our profile, so we'll have very high-achieving students, and we'll have students where a traditional academic route is not always their strong point. They may have other strengths in other areas. Thank you. And in terms of the focus of this podcast, which is the great rise in unconditional offers that students are receiving from UK universities, what trends are you seeing at Taunton School in that area? Uh, it's definitely true to say, I think nationally, but also within Taunton School, that we're seeing an increasing number of unconditional offers. There's, there's two types of unconditional offers we're seeing, and we're seeing rises in both of them. Some universities will give a straight unconditional offer uh, to, to students. That's a smaller number than we're seeing, uh, but that's still increasing. But particularly what we're seeing is universities that are offering an unconditional if, we make, if the student makes that university their first choice. So in the UCAS system, you can, you can have a firm choice or first choice, and you can also hold an insurance choice. And a number of universities uh, are suggesting that if you make them the firm choice, they will change their conditional offer, perhaps 3Bs or ABB, and turn that into an unconditional offer. And do you think that these unconditional offers and, and the rise of them are a positive thing for students or a negative thing for students? And, and depending on your view, why is that the case? I think there's definitely mixed feelings amongst the education circles at schools about unconditional offers. I think partly it's because uh, the British system is always traditionally focused on terminal exams. So although we do internal assessments and, and we assess and review our students every three weeks, which is uh, perhaps slightly more than, than many schools do, um, those don't count towards anything in, in the end. Ultimately, uh, the British system is always based on what are the grades that you finally, finally achieve under exam conditions mainly. We don't offer in the UK any uh, grade point average. 
and students understand that everything goes down to the wire in terms of those final terminal exams. And because of that, I, th I think there's a lot of suspicion about unconditional offers. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a great fear uh, that it's sort of countercultural for where we are in our education system. Um, one of our big fears is it may disincentivize students to work hard to get their final results. And it's their final results that will appear on their, their CV for, for the rest of their lives. We, we would never put grade point average or anything like that on, on their CV. And so therefore, employers will be looking at, uh, say, their A-level results. And if, because of an unconditional, they just haven't worked as hard or they've relaxed a little bit, then clearly that may have a negative impact, it's thought, on their, on their futures. Um, also, I think there's a slight concern that where you've got a mixed economy where some universities are doing unconditionals and some universities are still offering conditional offers that you must get ABB or BBC, that uh, that may unduly influence which university the student will apply for. The, the student may not uh, apply perhaps for their, the best fit for their course or their university uh, style or, or structure, and instead maybe taking uh, a quick, safe decision by going unconditional. So I think that's another concern I would, I would have. I think thirdly as well, because um, unconditionals might, in, in some students' cases, play down the role of exams, or students who struggle perhaps with exam technique, they may be uh, going to uh, taking the unconditional route because it puts less pressure on them. I think one of the um, knock-on effects maybe is that will that allow them to go to a university and a university course that is still highly exam-based? So a lot of our courses in the UK are very exam-based. So if, if they feel that they can get into a good university without taking or the exams being uh, as important, they may actually struggle when they get there because the exam co uh, the course will be very exam heavy. So there's a few reasons why I think I have slight hesitations that we're in a sort of mixed economy mode rather than all unconditional or all conditional at the moment. Okay, uh, though obviously, I mean, as you've explained, and, and anyone who's read the educational press in the UK recently will see this is an area of, of quite some debate within the, the universities and within secondary schools. Can you see also the opposite point of view, and I guess our, the colleagues at the school who see the point of view that actually maybe if a university is taking students who get B's and C's at GCC and are like to get B's and C's at A level, that, that actually it doesn't necessarily matter whether you come up with two B's and a C or a B and two C's. And from a university point of view, maybe there's a, there's a positive aspect or, or is the trend generally to view this as a bad thing? I think, uh, having been to a, a recent meeting, actually, from a university point of view, I think there's disagreement amongst universities. I think uh, one of our concerns um, about it is, is the offering of unconditional, is that for the student's benefit or is that for the university's benefit? In other words, there is concern that it's a marketing tool. Personally, I, I have concerns when a university says, if you choose us first, um, then we'll make you unconditional. Why wouldn't they make them unconditional to start with? The flip side of that, obviously, is in certain courses, which are perhaps more vocational, where there's less uh, terminal exams or end of semester exams or end of module exams, and where there's continual assessment throughout the course, uh, some of our students will go on to those types of courses, I can fully understand where an unconditional um, may be more appropriate. So I think that 
works well for that. For certain students, again, exams are a big problem. The British system is very geared traditionally towards exams. Some people learn in different ways. Some people uh, are better at assessments. So again, for courses that, that are not purely assessed by exams, maybe this is, this is a better route forward. And also, you know, we have to be honest and say what's happening in, in, in a, a teenager's life on a few days at the end of a two-year cycle, is that a fair reflection of their achievement over two years, of their progress? So I can see why there are um, very good reasons to say that unconditionals may be appropriate, but I think it would involve a, a major cultural shift in, in British education uh, theory, if you like. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And actually, I think to, part of the reason, Richard, why I wanted to speak with you is is given that Thorn School has a, has a history, and as you mentioned, nine countries students went to university last year. A lot of other university systems around the world, as, as listeners will be aware, don't have the same focus as the UK does on this idea of meeting the conditions in terminal exams. Given that you will have students who are applying to many different countries for university, how does the fact now that the, that the UK has an unconditional offer system, like many other countries do, work in the context of the advising that you're doing? It's an interesting dilemma um, that students face in terms of looking at different countries and their application process and also what um, different international uh, universities are assessing students on. Uh, there's such diversity out there. The first thing I always say to students is you need to really be honest and say where is your priority, which country or which which process of assessing applications are you going to focus on mainly? Because a, a pure scattered gun approach is really not going to work for you. Now, it could be argued that by becoming more um, unconditionals in this country, we're, we're flattening out that, those, that diversity. But I still think it's there at the moment. So my first uh, point of call with all students is to say, which country or which uh, system are, is going to be your priority? Because that's where you're going to have to put your focus, your energy, your drive into. I still think we have a problem in this country culturally. Students still see the terminal exams as the final point. And to a certain extent, um, grades and internal assessments and all of that um, are still not really judged by most students as important. So when they're applying to systems with grade point averages, um, no university in this country will see a transcript of all module scores or over four years or over two years in this, in this uh, country at all. And therefore, culturally, that is hugely different for students who are just focusing on end-point end results. So even unconditionals in the British system, I don't think are that helpful when comparing to a university application system that wants to see four years' worth of transcripts. British students have no understanding of that. They know they have to have GCSE scores, and they know they have to have A-level IB BTEC scores. But the transcript system still is very alien to them. So for some of our students, they can literally um, wing it at the end and get very high grades because they're very capable students. And their sort of midterm reports or their um, school reports over the course of two years may not be reflective of actually their endpoint results. So I still think there's, there's, a, there's a tension between unconditionals in the UK because of the wider culture. Okay, I guess then the, the point really to, to conclude from that is that the unconditional offers have risen because of particular circumstances in the UK and the way British schools are assessing students. 
and for students from outside the UK who are suddenly fitting into the system, that countercultural point doesn't necessarily work in the same way as is the reverse point for students in that UK model who want to look elsewhere. I think that's definitely true. Uh, I'm sure you're aware yourself that we, we have, um, universities have expanded since about 2012, 2013, have expanded uh, student places significantly. Uh, we know that cap limits have come off in terms of how many students of certain grades universities can, can uh, welcome to their universities. At the same time, demographically, we know that uh, UK 18-year-old numbers have plummeted to a certain extent, and we're still on the downwards still just about on the downward uh, slope of that and therefore we have a lot of universities with a lot of places and not enough 18 year olds um, to fill them and therefore I think the rise of this unconditional is very much a British market force uh, demographic now that will change in time by I think 2024 we're going to flip it around the other way and numbers are going to now be exceeding uh, um, numbers are going to be exceeding our 2014 sort of year 18 year old numbers after getting Richard's perspective, I wanted to see how a highly selective US university would view this issue. Bobby Fernando from New York University was born and raised here in the UK, but now runs global admissions at NYU, and I sought out her view on unconditional offers. It's my great pleasure this afternoon to be joined by Bobby Fernando of New York University. Uh, Bobby, thank you very much for giving up your time today. You're welcome. So if you don't mind just starting off, could you give us an overview of NYU and your role in admissions at NYU? Sure. So New York University is the largest private university in the United States. Uh, we have a, um, a very global footprint. We have three campuses all around the world. Um, the largest one and the best known one probably being in New York. We also have campuses in Abu Dhabi and Shanghai. And we have global sites all around the world where students can study for a semester or a period of time. We have the most international students of any U.S. university, and we actually um, send more students to study overseas than any U.S. university, so definitely very global in nature. And my job is as Director of Global Admissions, which means that I basically oversee everything at NYU and undergraduate admissions that is related to our global footprint. So I oversee the admissions processes for the two campuses in Abu Dhabi and Shanghai, as well as overseeing the international students that come to our campus in New York. Thank you. Um, we're talking today on the issue of the growth of unconditional offers in the UK. Um, Bobby, as some listeners may know, is, is British and was educated in the UK, so understands quite a lot about the system here. Bobby, NYU is known for being test flexible. Could you just give an overview of, of what that means and particularly in the context of how you use A-levels in your admissions process? Of course. So we actually implemented this, um, this text fle test flexible policy around eight years ago when I joined NYU. Actually, I think it was about seven years ago. Um, and we were really the first institution to, to implement something like this. Um, and it really means that, that we do require for most of our programs at NYU some form of testing, but we don't require that to be just the traditional American tests of the SAT or the ACT. We also look at a number of international exams, so we look at um, we look at A-levels, as you mentioned, we look at pre-U exams, we look at IB exams, the French BAC, the German Abitur, any number of international exams that fit into certain criteria 
of being externally examined, um, the culmination of secondary education and, and various other criteria that we require. Um, so we will look at those tests in lieu of the SAT or the ACT. We do consider them in and of themselves to be standardized tests. Okay, great. And so the context in the UK is that there's an awful lot of concern from schools that students are gaining offers from UK universities whereby they don't have to meet quite strict conditions. When you are making offers and your offers are based on students' A-level results, how does that work differently to how it has traditionally worked in the UK? So at NYU, we don't, well, at most US universities, to be fair, we don't really have um, either conditional or unconditional offers. We make an offer of admission that is essentially unconditional, but does say in the admission offer that we expect students to continue working at the same standard that they were working at when they applied to NYU. Um, and this is the same for American students as it is for international students. So if a student here in the U.S. was to um, start getting very weak grades on their transcript, we would raise concerns about it. Equally, if a student got weak grades in their IB or their A-levels or their pre-U exams, then we would raise concerns about it. Um, so we definitely, we don't do it as a, um, a conditional or an unconditional offer, but we do look at those final exam results or we do look at those final grades. And if they deviate significantly from what we've seen in the application, we will reach out to the student or reach out to the counselor and have a conversation about it. Okay, so, so what that means then is you are able to look at a student's GCSE results and their predicted A-levels, and based on that academic information, even without SAT or, or ACT, say, we've got a sense of where the student is working academically and we feel comfortable in making a decision whether to admit or not. Correct, and I think also we add into that information that's coming from the school. So it's, it's not just looking at the academic credentials, but also looking at what the teachers are saying, um, what the, the counselor or the kind of housemaster, whoever's writing the, the recommendations are saying about the students and how they're performing in the classroom, how they interact with other students, you know, what their level of motivation is like. I think all of that is incredibly important to us in making that decision. Okay, so given then that there is this concern from a lot of UK schools about unconditional offers from UK universities and the fact that NYU is operating a process which seems to work similarly and highly successfully from your point of view, what is your perspective then on this debate about UK universities making unconditional offers? I think that the UK tends to exist very much in a black and white world when it comes to admissions and I think that that isn't necessarily uh, a helpful place for either the students or the, the institutions. Um, and I think that um, that it is possible to kind of to exist somewhere between. I mean we definitely, like I said, then we, we look at students at the end of their high school and we, we kind of want to see that they have continued to perform at a high level. But if they don't exactly meet their predictions, it's certainly not the end of the world. Sometimes students are not well. Sometimes students have personal situations that impact their ability to do well on their exams. But we feel like we've got enough information from the application, from the kind of, like I said, the GCSEs, um, any internal grades, any AS grades that we have, um, and certainly from what the school tells us about the student, to get a sense of whether or not that student would be successful at our institution. And I think that the UK universities would actually find if they looked at all of those additional 
um, pieces of, of information that they would also be able to, to make a decision about whether a student would be successful without having to place absolute conditions on these offers of admission. My final conversation was with a fellow independent advisor, Elizabeth Marksteiner, to my mind one of the finest college counsellors working in the world today and someone who has a unique perspective on so many things. To try and get now a global perspective on how unconditional offers work in different systems around the world, not just the UK, it's my great pleasure to have Elizabeth Marksteiner join me now. Uh, Elizabeth, thank you for giving up your time this afternoon. Uh, thank you very much indeed, David. Happy to help. Great, thank you. So, Elizabeth, if you don't mind just giving a little bit of the background for, for probably the only listener who doesn't know who you are, um, given your reputation within this industry, and then we'll get into discussing this topic. So, I've now been um, a college counsellor for the last um, 10 to 15 years as my, my primary job. Um, but I can hardly remember a time where I wasn't advising students on university placement. My first college tour was actually to the UK and the States way back in the early 90s. So um, I've been around a while. I've been spending most of my career in Switzerland in international schools. And this last year I set up my um, own company and I'm still doing exactly what I'm doing, advising students, going to wherever they want to go across the world, no matter what exam system that they are taking or no matter what country that they are applying to. Great. And, and Elizabeth, you and I both studied at, at Oxbridge. We, we come from, from that kind of background and we, we have quite uh, a detailed understanding of, of the UK and the concerns of, of universities and academic schools. So to, to delve into it, what is your view on the rapid growth of UK universities making unconditional offers to students? Well, David, as I told you in the past, um, I am the result of effectively an unconditional offer. I had a matriculation offer, which was two E's. Um, it didn't make me stop working for my A-levels. And in fact, just as my A-levels starting, I was distinctly glad that I had that offer. Uh, my mother had just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died um, in about six months later. And there was a car crash involved on the day my exam started, where friends I'd gone to school with since I was five years old um, were killed, injured. Um, and I remember leaving one exam early to go to a funeral and one exam late to come back. And uh, I remember particularly my Shakespeare tragedy paper and thinking, I can't jump through the hoop. So had I not had an unconditional offer, I would never have gone to Cambridge. So how do I feel about a Cambridge unconditional offer? Thank God for that. Um, so I have very mixed feelings when people get on their high horse and say, oh, unconditional offers don't motivate people. Um, I just know from my own experience from the many, many students I've worked with who go to the States and um, effectively that is just matriculate, do well, and don't let your grades slip too much. They don't stop working, they carry on, they graduate, they do well. Yeah. So, so just so, to explore that topic, if you know, we've spoken to, to Bobby Fernando um, as part of this podcast give, from NYU, giving a perspective on, on how that works. For, for universities in the US that are making, as you say, in effect, unconditional offers to students with A-levels, and we're talking very highly selective, very well-regarded universities there, does that perspective give you a different view on the debate in the UK about unconditional offers? 
I think it gives me more than just a, an interest in the UK and what's going on. Every system seems to think that theirs is fantastic, wonderful, and the bee's knees and exactly made for them. And I'm always surprised at how few people um, like you and I actually have that global comparison where we're saying, well, you do it like this here, but actually somewhere else you do it entirely differently and it works perfectly well. Um, I think um, the growth of universities, the um, increased um, pressure on places, the demographic shift going on at the moment, possibly even Brexit. Um, but I think actually in the short term, what I'm most conscious of uh, with British universities is the fact that the um, A-level reforms are coming through. So the two-year course is new, whereas before they could rely on AS levels. So I think I can understand their hesitation um, in their own system. But certainly when I think then of other systems which rely on school grades, on recommendations, on many other factors in looking at what makes a good student, um, I think a British university still knows what makes a good student. And to say, we're just going to rely on terminal grades um, makes a mockery then of all of the other characteristics that they're looking for. Because right, so, the argument that, that I hear a lot in the media in the UK, and I've, I've heard from various school advisors, is that without that threshold of grades that universities are saying students have to hit, students take their foot off the gas. It's very hard to motivate them through their last few months at, at school. Um, how would you would you respond to that? Is that something you, you would be concerned about? And again, particularly if students are, are looking at four or five different university systems, um, is that something you think schools should be concerned about? I think a school should encourage learning for the sake of learning. If all you have in mind is that end goal, um, that does not lead to a healthy balance about what you should be working or why you should be working. Um, that means I'll only work um, until I have my next job or I'll carry on working until I have uh, the next promotion. Um, but in terms of, in particular, I was thinking of the IB, of encouraging lifelong learning, or pretty much any school that surely values that, um, I think a terminal um, result is a nice measure of our performance on the day. Uh, but you and I know that um, exams test a very narrow set of criteria um, and there are many, many variables, and uh, it's not the be-all and end-all in the way that your life works from then on forwards. Yeah, I, I guess to sort of to delve into that in a little bit more detail, I think I think what what I'm hearing, and, and without putting my own view forward too strongly, but a, a student who scrapes an A by three marks is actually no you know, intellectually more or less capable than if they just actually got a very high B. No. Um, I, I think when, when you're looking at the grade boundaries and you say, oh, they just made this or they just made that, um, I mean, that's one question here or there. Um, certainly, um, however much you think that uh, marking in the humanities is criteria reference and so many marks for this, um, I think there is always a level of judgment about there. Um, and I think that... Um, too often right now we have lost judgment we just go for the metrics and uh, we don't think about um, the well-being the whole candidate uh, looking to see what they have to offer right so, so just sort of as a, a final question 
to listeners of the podcast who are advising students in UK schools who, who don't necessarily have this perspective of how other universities around the world can select students on an almost unconditional basis, what would you say to them to try to give them a perspective on this debate where actually maybe they should stop panicking so much? I, I think that's difficult because if that's all you know, um, how are you supposed to know any different? Our system's been built up over uh, a period of time. It's gone to go much expansion and change. Exam systems have been overhauled rapidly. Um, and you carry on in the rat wheel that you're in without actually putting your, your head up further. Um, so all I can think of right now is, the, um, is Plato's allegory of the cave. So if all you have is shadows, how are you supposed to know that there's something else out there? Fantastic, Elizabeth. I can always rely on you to, to get a, an academic point in there somewhere. So, so thank you very much for your time. I think it's clear from my input into these three conversations that I'm not part of the crowd when it comes to the concerns expressed by so many in the UK school sector about the rise of unconditional offers from UK universities. To me, it boils down to two things. Firstly, if all over the world universities are able to make judgments about a student's potential to do well at that university, based on a combination of application forms, teacher references and prior achieved grades, then why do we think that UK universities aren't able to do the same? Secondly, if a particular university's mission is, for example, to take students with B or C grades, educate them effectively and prepare them for the world beyond that university, and that university has evidence to support the fact that they can do this regardless of whether the students get BBB or CCC or worse. Why are we concerned that they then choose to make that student an unconditional offer? Unfortunately, I feel that so much of the debate about UK unconditional offers is hampered by the lack of a global perspective and how other university systems select students effectively, something which I hope this podcast can help to remedy. Please join me next time for another podcast. And in the meantime, subscribe to the feed in Buzzsprout or Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at UniGuyDavid or on Facebook at Hawkins Global Education. Or drop me an email if you'd like to find out more about what I do. Thanks for listening.